You remain standing and turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 18 this morning of Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, verses 14 through 18. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. As you do, would you please pray with me? Most gracious God and our Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, as we continue our, pass- our march through the book of Luke, uh, we get to this passage where Jesus has just gotten done speaking with his disciples uh, about the, the parable of the shrewd manager, the one that's kind of difficult to understand. But he is giving his disciples this heavenly perspective, this eternal perspective on their finances, on their wealth. Um, and then the, the, uh, the Pharisees overhear him. And the Pharisees, who are lovers of money, heard these things and they ridiculed him, the Bible tells us. Well, our uh, sermon title this morning is called The Ridiculous Gospel, something that is worthy, in a sense, of ridicule. Uh, there's a lot of things that are in our culture that are ridiculous. Often, uh, when we think of things that are ridiculous, we think of things uh, that cost too much. And there's a lot of them. If you've ever gone to a professional sporting event, the cost of food at a professional sporting event is ridiculous. Except if you go to the Masters. At the Masters tournament there, they have so much money (laughs) that they don't have to gouge you for their food. Um, They charge reasonable prices. But $6 for a hot dog or even more, that's ridiculous. Uh, A coffee at Starbucks, it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, It used to be the cost of gas. Thankfully, that has gone down. It's gone up a little bit again. uh, Often, we say that is ridiculous. The cost of college is getting ridiculous, is it not? Um, The gospel itself, when uh, the culture looks at it, is ridiculous in reality. It is unbelievable. It is outlandish. But this is the gospel of our great and our awesome God. So as we see in our passage this morning, Jesus is once again revealing 
the hearts of the Pharisees to themselves. And he is revealing their hearts to others as well. The Pharisees hear Jesus teaching on money and on finances, and they ridicule him for it. He is telling his disciples that we should have an eternal perspective with our finances. If you remember the shrewd manager, Jesus is saying here that we should not be dishonest like he was, but we should be wise in things of eternity, that we should be shrewd with them. How we use our money, Jesus says, is an indication of our spiritual condition. It's an indication of our hearts. And he concludes that passage by saying you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You can only serve one. And the Pharisees happen to be lovers of money, as we see in verse 16. Excuse me, in verse 14 here. Because they had a love for money, it means that they did not have a love for God in their hearts. It means that they have broken the first and the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Now the Pharisees prized themselves on doing what? On keeping the commandments. But because they were lovers of money, obviously they were breaking this greatest commandment. On the outside, it appeared as if they loved the Lord very much because of how they outwardly kept the law. But how many times have we seen the Pharisees rebuked by our Lord for being hypocrites, for um, obeying God's law on the inside, but in their hearts being far from them? So if I were to um, rewrite, in a sense, what Jesus is saying or to, to say it in our language, what I would say is, by how you are acting, Pharisees, you are trying to convince others that you are righteous in God's sight. But you know what? God knows your heart. Despite all your good efforts, you are unrighteous. Your love of money proves it. You love money more than you love God. And if you love anything more than you love God... How can you claim to be righteous? Jesus warns the Pharisees that what men exalt, God thinks is an abomination. This means that being exalted by men, which the Pharisees are seeking to do, is not a good thing. In fact, it is often very bad. Because God doesn't think the same way that men do. We read in Isaiah that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than than our ways. So the ridiculous truth of the gospel is that we do not justify ourselves. The Pharisees thought that they could justify themselves. But the gospel tells us that we cannot. You know, in so many areas of our lives, this is what we try to do. Our work results in rewards. When we work hard at our job, we get a paycheck. When we work hard at athletics, we progress, we excel. But the ridiculous message of the gospel is exactly the opposite. If we try to achieve our salvation, to work for it, we fail to get what we are striving for. Because God is the one who justifies. So we cannot justify ourselves. 
We cannot make ourselves right with God. Instead, we are justified through the gospel. We are justified through the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus says here that the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. Jesus begins his ministry in all the gospels by preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is how he begins his preaching. And everything in history, for example, the law and the prophets, as Jesus describes it here, everything, including the ministry of John the Baptist, is pointing forward to this moment when Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of God. The law and the prophets are all anticipation of what is about to come, of what Jesus is doing. And what is about to come is this, that God is pouring out his grace on his people. Now, God's grace has always been present because God's character never changes. It is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the past, as Romans 3.25 says, that God showed his grace by leaving the sins of the people unpunished. Now, if God had not shown mercy and grace to Adam and Eve, when they had sinned, he would have simply wiped But God showed his grace to them. He showed his grace to the people of Israel that when they were chasing after other gods, he didn't simply wipe them from the face of the earth. He showed patience with them, forbearance, as Romans 3.25 says. Now Jesus is preaching that God is going to be actively showing his grace to his people by pouring out that punishment for their sin, but not on those who deserved it. He is pouring out his punishment for sin on his own son. So Jesus was preaching the good news that entrance into God's kingdom was by grace through faith. Entrance into God's kingdom begins with repentance, begins with confessing our sins to God. But the Pharisees believe the opposite. They believe that you would enter into God's kingdom in this way, by appearing as if you had no sin by doing all the right things. They thought that entrance into the kingdom of God was like getting into an Ivy League school. That you had to have the right GPA, you had to have uh, an incredibly high SAT score or ACT score, that you had to have your transcript filled with uh, all these AP classes, and that you had to have all these volunteer things that you did, you had to be your class president, Uh, captain of the football team, all these things. Uh, But that is not true. What Jesus is teaching is the exact opposite, and that's why it is so ridiculous when you think about it. Instead of proving that you are good enough to enter the kingdom of God, you need to admit that you are not good enough. In fact, you need to admit that you do not deserve entrance into the kingdom You need to admit that you need a Savior. So if we think about the political landscape right now, the fact that we have uh, all these people who have thrown their hat into the ring uh, for the, um, uh, as candidates for presidents in 2016. We've got a lot on the Republican side. We've got several on the Democratic side. Uh, Imagine if someone were to run on this platform 
instead of proving to us why they are the right person for the job, who is going to come in and clean up Washington, as we often hear, imagine they admit to us, you know what, I am not worthy of the position of president. Imagine if those were the words that we heard from our presidential candidates. That would be ridiculous. But the gospel is clear. It's not by keeping the law that someone is justified by, uh, before God. As Paul says in Romans 3.21, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So the good news of the kingdom of God is that we are justified apart from our works, apart from the law. However, Jesus quickly explains that the law of God is eternal. That God's law does not simply pass away with this preaching of the good news of the kingdom of God. You know, it's easy for us to think that God's law is no longer valid because of entrance into God's kingdom is through grace. If it's impossible for us to keep the law, and if we can't enter into God's kingdom through our own righteousness, then why obey the law? Is it useless? Of course not. The kingdom of God will not be a lawless kingdom. The kingdom of God will not be a lawless kingdom. Jesus himself said that he didn't come to abolish the law. In Matthew 6, he says he comes to fulfill it. The coming of Christ didn't change the character of God. He has always required and will require holiness from His people because as the Catechism tells us, that is how God created man. In knowledge, in righteousness, and in holiness. And that does not change. That is what God requires of us. When God's kingdom is fully realized, it won't be realized uh, or characterized by rampant lawlessness, but by perfect law-keeping. In God's perfect kingdom, we will be able to joyfully serve our God by, keep, by perfectly keeping His laws. So Jesus uses the example of marriage. So if He was talking with the Pharisees, He would say, you know what, the law is not going to pass away. Not even a jot or a tittle, these very small uh, Hebrew marks. Um, instead, he is going to fulfill the law. And he says, take, for example, marriage. If a man divorces his wife and marries another, he commits adultery. If a, woman, uh, if a man marries a woman who is divorced, he commits adultery. This is from the beginning, and it will be to the end. These laws stand forever. The laws of marriage and divorce and adultery will never change. Because from the beginning of creation, the pattern of marriage has always been the same. It is one woman being joined to one man as long as they both shall live. It says in Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then Jesus says in Mark 10, 7 through 9, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man 
separate. Marriage is an interesting example because Jesus later, later teaches that we will not be married to each other in heaven. So will marriage that we have here on earth last throughout eternity? He says no, that we won't be married. There will be no marriage or giving in marriage in heaven. However, we will celebrate marriage because we will be married to Christ. Because what we have in heaven is that we will be the bride of Christ. And we will celebrate for eternity this marriage feast of the Lamb. As God's church, we are the bride of Christ. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that divorce is contrary to God's law. We know that. That is from the beginning until the end. It was that way in the beginning. It will always be the case. In other places, Jesus does define for us biblical grounds for divorce. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. What he is talking about is that like these laws for marriage and divorce and adultery, the law will not change. It is always the same. And these are the requirements that God has for us. Why does Jesus choose this example of marriage? Because it's so important. And it's something that many people can relate to or at least understand. And it's a clear image of the love that Christ has for his bride, the church. It's an institution God created and sustained from the very beginning. We know that the standards of marriage never change from history past to history future. Even if our Supreme Court redefines the nature of marriage in our land, we know that marriage, according to God's law, never changes. And that's true with all of God's law. So what Jesus is telling the Pharisees here and also the crowds that were surrounding him, Jesus is telling them that entrance into the kingdom of God is in fact ridiculous. How we enter is ridiculous. Yes, Jesus was ridiculed by the Pharisees for his teachings on money. And if we uh, share the gospel with those around us, we will be ridiculed for what we are saying. Because what we are saying is that entrance into the kingdom of God, salvation, is not based on what we do. It is based on what God has done for us. It doesn't make sense. One of the reasons that we don't often see the gospel as ridiculous is because we have become very familiar with it. But how ridiculous is this, if we were to really think about it? That every week we open up a book that was written more than 2,000 years ago. And we hear messages from it. How ridiculous is it that entrance into God's eternal kingdom is not based on our, hum, our own human effort, that there is literally nothing that we can do to gain admittance, and that flies in the face of everything that our culture is screaming to us. How ridiculous is it that entrance into the kingdom of God is through the crucified body and the shed blood of the God-man? One of the books that I use uh, for my prayer time is called The Valley of Vision. Many of you may be familiar with it. The first prayer in that book is called The Valley of Vision. And um, one of the, the very poignant lines in that prayer is this. 
says, let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. How ridiculous is this good news that we share, that Jesus has paid for all of our sins through his death on the cross, and that the way to have our sins forgiven is not by the good things that we do, is by admitting that we can't do it on our own, and that Christ has done it for us. As we come to the table this morning, let us realize how truly ridiculous this good news of the gospel really is, and let us thank God for it. Because if it weren't for the ridiculous nature of the gospel, this unbelievable good news that God has given to us, who then can be saved? not you, not anyone. But this is the great and the good news that God has given us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.